and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. Whatever you can do, please do. And now, the definition. Definition. Tennessee Republicans accused of overt racism after Democratic duels expulsion, you think? And I want you to watch two particular exchanges. First, Representative Pearson and Representative Andrew Farmer, who we mentioned earlier as one of the three lawmakers who filed the resolution for expulsion. Take a look. Just because you don't get your way, you can't come to the well, bring your friends and throw a temper tantrum with an adolescent bullhorn. But certainly don't start by commandeering the well while we're conducting business here in this Tennessee General Assembly. That's why you're standing there, because of that temper tantrum that day, for that yearning to have attention. That's what you wanted, but you're getting it now. How many of you want to be spoken to that way? We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about even gun violence. How many of you would want to be spoken to that way? The reason that I believe the sponsor of this legislation, of this resolution, spoke that way is because he's comfortable doing it. Because there's a decorum that allows it. There it is, bring the mayor up right now. We're gonna jump into this mayor. I had a lot more to say, but let's go ahead and have this conversation. That representative farmer talked to those two grown ass black men like they were children. And what Representative Justin Pearson laid out is that the reason why you're doing this because you're comfortable with it. This is part of the decorum. Now let's go back to Representative Farmer when he said that you just because you don't get your way, you don't have a right to have a temper tantrum. Let me get this straight. Three babies gunned down dead. Three adults gunned down dead and you wanna talk about decorum? There is no more decorum when you have elected officials standing up there showing the requisite emotion, which the Tennessee three did. F your decorum. And that is what was necessary in that Tennessee legislature. But see, they knew that they had the votes mayor to expel those men. And he had the pure unadulterated gall to stand up there and chastise those members like they were damn children. The gall, you know, my grandmother would say more nerd than a brass ass monkey. Yeah, and I think your grandmother will be spot on. I think what's disgusting to me is I'm a black man from the South, and the only thing I didn't hear in that statement from there from Farmer was boy. Hey, boy. say that. And I think he might have mumbled it because it was, in his mind, his statement was definitely on par with that thinking, that line of thinking. Where or or he, mayor, and I'm sorry to mess up your train of thought. Hope you don't lose it. He might as well just go ahead and call him a nigga. That, Point exactly. blank. 
Because exactly. every action they took, and I hate that word, I really, but that's that's what bubbled up in my mind. Absolutely, he said. And, and we gonna whoop you in public. We gonna let y'all know who really in control. Y'all might have got elected here. You may think you have some power, but you ain't got no power. We gonna show you who has the ultimate power. Go ahead, man. I, I just had to. No, I mean it's, it's absolutely right. And speaking of whipping, I mean keep in mind there's a there's a representative somewhere in that chamber that last month you and I sat on the same show and talked about that's okay with hanging. Yes. Lynching. Yes. He ain't expelled. The idea that you can lynch people in Tennessee. What really happens is a white woman has the right to challenge her white brothers and sisters and white folk and the, and the status quo whiteness. Black folk don't. And when you get out of line, when you get uppity, this is what happens. This is why that white woman is still in the Tennessee legislature. Especially when you couple the fact that what you're doing is you have black people speaking louder about the death of white kids. Come on. Mass shootings of white that kids. That part. Because this ain't the first. We can't silo this 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 mass shooting that happened in Tennessee from the one that happened at a church in Tennessee or the other 121 that have taken place in this country this year alone. So I'm telling people what happens is when black people remind white people how savage whiteness is, how savage standing up for the gun lobby over children is. This is what happens. Exactly what happens. happens. And but this is in Tennessee's DNA. So, you know, Representative Pearson got it right. You standing up there doing that because there is an atmosphere that allows it. If they even thought there would be some consequences and repercussions, they would have thought twice. Lord Hammer, let's go on to the next clip, y'all. We got some more to play. Let's do it. Today, ladies and gentlemen, is we are upholding our constitution. We are protecting the integrity of this body. Let's vote to expel them. That will send the case back to the voters in Davidson County. And if after looking at his conduct, they find he should come back, we will welcome him as a representative. My colleague's statement were, was, was eloquent. What he was essentially saying was that Justin is an uppity Negro. How dare he? Point at the speaker and call a lie a lie. How dare he treat, act like he's your equal? How dare he come before this body and not bow down? That's what Representative Bolso was saying. And that's what he told me on the elevator two days ago when he tried to incite violence against me and got in my face and said, you are a damn disgrace. And I said, Representative Bolso, hold on, let me pull up my phone. Can you say that again? And he cowered and chose not to repeat it because he did not want the world to see what a disgrace he is for Williamson County voters. That's it right there. That's it. Thank you, team, because y'all know I was going to say put the mayor. Mayor, that's it. I mean, Representative Jones encapsulated this whole deal. And it's a, it's a reminder of what Ida B. Wells, you know, when her two, when her friends got killed because they got a little too uppity. And she exposed lynching in these United States of America all over this country, but particularly in the South. This reminds me of this moment right here. Black folks, we will accept you as long as you march the way we march to the beat we say march to. But as soon as you get out of pocket, soon as you get out of pocket, we have various ways in this country to remind you who is absolutely in control. So whether we're talking about these two representatives, or we're talking about Colin Kaepernick, or we're talking about Kyrie, hello somebody. We can name all kinds of names. This is what 
America does on a regular basis. And when people don't understand why black people are mad as hell and constantly, as James Baldwin once said, to be black in America is to be in a constant rage, to be conscious, he said. Let me put that, because we got a lot of black sisters and brothers who are not conscious. And I'm not saying, Mary, they got to agree with everything you and I are saying, but they're not conscious. Anybody that would fix their mouths to say this is a different country and things are not the same, something is wrong with them. Fixing their mouths to say that this country wasn't founded on racism and bigotry and anti-blackness, something is wrong with them. But hey, James Baldwin got it right to be consciously black in America is to be in a damn rage all the time. And, and when we're not, and when we're not enraged, you know, we're done. We're pacifying, or we're acting sleep, just as Ron DeSantis would have us. And I think this is absolutely disgusting that we see what this, what these representatives are willing to do. They know that these brothers will be sent back to to the General Assembly, but they're willing to waste taxpayer money Come on. so that they can fundraise, so they can go back to their white brothers and sisters. Who I'm glad you brought up Ida B. Wells because it happened in one of these districts that those killings of her friends was in Memphis. That's one of right. These represents that That's district. That's but exactly it's absolute, right. talk about full circle with racism. Talk about how what kind of change when the the only thing changes where the position of the wheel is. It's still America, still a circle, and it's all white. Come on, that right there. I mean, Tennessee has a, a lot of blood on its hands. I mean, you brought up fundraising, so team, let's go ahead and put this up and lead the mayor up. Put us up three, all three of us in the damn box. Just go ahead and do it. Nashville, Tennessee House Republicans that decided to uphold the rule of law. You know what? They always want to talk about the rule of law when it comes to black folks. That, that's when the rule of law is really in play. But suffice it to say, we ain't got to read this whole thing. Basically, to break it down, they fundraising off of this. That's just how shameless they are, Mayor. They got no shame and no fear of repercussions and consequences. Yeah, and I think I think I think the fact that the fact that they have a base, a base that no, you cannot not know that this is they're lying. You're not a law and order. When you're when you're killing cops at the Capitol, you're not Come law on. and order. When you're against the FBI, you're not law and order. When you take a trip to New York, when Trump's been arraigned to protest the justice system there, you're not law and order. You're white for whiteness, and that's all it is. And you're still funding it. You're funding it because of the same things that made the KKK a party then makes the GOP a party now. That's it. The only thing is, back then it was the Democrats. They were yeah. the KKK and they were, okay, so what party really does black people truly, truly have? And then by extension, poor working class people of all backgrounds. Tennessee. This is the revelation here Tennessee. because we not, have not had true truth and reconciliation Tennessee. in this country. We are gonna be constantly Tennessee. reminded Tennessee. that this right here is Tennessee. real. Lord, I've really been real stressed down and out, losing guts. Although I am black and grass, problems got me pessimistic, brothers and sisters. Messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go to let these ghosts out of my skull. My grandma passed, my brother's gone. I never at once felt so alone. I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel, not just my spare tire. But Lord, I ask you to be my guide and force the truth. For some strange reason, it had to be. He guided me to Tennessee. Yeah.
We talk to each other in a friendship way Then out of nowhere, they tell me to break Out of the country and into more countries Past eyes burn into rivers Where the ghost of childhood haunts me Walk the road my forefathers walked Climb the trees my forefathers hung from Ask those trees for all their wisdom They tell me my ears are so young Go back to whence you came My family tree, my family name For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee Take me to Justin Jones, if you watch any of his speeches, they're incredible. It's clear why they made him a target because he it's not just this issue. Like he has been holding uh, the Republican Party accountable and really standing up for his constituents and representing Gen Z uh, in a very loud way. And so they wanted to find some excuse to get rid of him because he's been a thorn in their side. And they did. Like, it's not just this issue, like gun control, like on LGBTQ plus issues. Uh, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, welfare issues, he is excellent. So these are two people who are leaders and they don't like that they're leaders. They don't like that they're able to set the agenda because that's what they want to do. They want to monopolize discourse and they just try to find some way to, to undemocratically remove them. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised. It's just a reality. We can't constantly recognize that the Republicans are fascists at this point. I say it every episode, like... Yeah. This is the kind of extremism. This is not at all surprising. Um, and I would like in a in a different world, you want to. And I, first of all, yes, that speech is incredible. He's clearly an incredible speaker. Um, and in a different world, you'd like to be like, oh, yeah, he'll have a great career in politics because you see how talented he is or what, how great of a speaker is. But in this world where he's a black man in that environment where those kind of powerful white supremacists have it out for him so bad that they would remove him. I think I worry about his safety long term. And I think that's something that doesn't get, you know, I feel like, you know, mainstream media will never, will never delve into that read that part of it because to delve into that would have to be to recognize the kind of dangerous forces these people are with the kind of things they've done, historic things and the reality of that. And, you know, it would change the tenor of the very like, both sides, ah, the way people try to treat politics. Um, but a real thing is his, his safety. Honestly, that's that's something that I, you know, I, I I think about that in in a situation where where people have targeted him as somebody that is a leader, as somebody that they they need to get rid of, as somebody that they would go to these lengths. Um, so yeah, I I, I hope he stays covered. Yeah, I have to give credit. This yeah. is um this one. This is uh, Jones. I can play this as well if you want. Yeah. Let's talk about expulsion. For years. One of your colleagues who was an admitted child molester sat in this chamber, no expulsion. One member sits in this chamber who was found guilty of domestic violence, no expulsion. We had a former speaker sit in this chamber who is now under federal investigation, no expulsion. We have a member still under federal investigation, no expulsion. We had a member pee in another member's chair in this chamber. No expulsion. In fact, they're in leadership. But in the, in the governor's administration, 
And so once again, what you're saying to us, since you're trying to put us on trial, I'll say what you're really putting on trial is the state of Tennessee. What you're really showing for the world is holding up a mirror to a state that is going back to some dark, dark roots, a state in which the Ku Klux Klan was founded is now attempting another power grab by silencing the two youngest black representatives and one of the only women, democratic women in this body. That's what this is about. Let us be real today. Yeah, yeah, it's like, they're incredible. They're incredible. But when I see incredible black men in this context doing this, I can't help but recognize all the times I've seen incredible black men in that context doing that. And we are talking about them in what ifs and what could have been because past tense, because they're killed. They're, they're targeted and killed. Like, um, so that is, I, 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 like I say, I, and I think that's something, you know, we forget sometimes how different different environments are for protests and like people could take that for granted like as for for what new york city is and what nypd is there's still a big difference between protesting a black lives matter in in manhattan versus what it is in mississippi like there are serious things like when i've talked to different like organizers on the ground and different activists and stuff following the different deaths of different black people depending on what they are there are far different constraints of what the danger is locally in those places and those environments and the internet sometimes can blend the world in a way where we don't really realize like what the outside environment is there right like that might be going viral on twitter and we're like oh my god this person is amazing this person is this this person could be a great speaker and this person but this person could be in, in their real life where they're at they are a target and they are a person that has a lot a lot to to be concerned about or in, and are in danger so when i see um two black men and a woman targeted on this level to where they have to give a very moving speech like that. Cause I don't know when last I've seen either a speech to the level of either speech they've given. It makes me, it makes me, you know, worry for them and hope for, you know, that they are covered and protected. And yeah, that's, that's my, that's my thoughts on that. And, and like a really, the, the point is also because people will have you believe that a is being hyperbolic with this, but it is actually, <laughs> it is actually very, tempered and a reasonable response because every black resistance movement, especially in the continental USA, has been either co-opted or just absolutely obliterated. We think of Black Wall Street. We think of, I saw people mention Fred Hampton, MLK, uh, Mark oh, it. It's It's a constant, it's it's not like this is not, um, and in the same way uh, when people are talking about um, the trans genocide that is happening and using those words extremely purposefully, it's because it exactly is. This is not hyperbolic. Like, this is not Fox News trying to say it's overblown, it's a psyop or something like that. This is, in fact, maybe um, me like not even speaking to the level of severity we need to take it to. And everything that Black talented political orators, people with political talent like that, um, people made mention of of the the way that they spoke and the the cadence being extremely religious and and probably ecclesiastical and how they the matrix for it was probably a church and and when you think about that that's just so poetic because when we think about how 
the church as an institution is a place where they're able to develop these political talents. And at the same time, they have to fight a litany of different aggressions, whether it be the colonial construct of church, all the different things that are said in church in order to break down Black men in particular and socialize them into being a particular way, yet they still come out like this, which is my point that these men that we see, these talented political actors are everything despite what America has made. It's not yeah. because of, because America yeah. will like make you want to believe that, oh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you'll be able to make it. That is not true. The people that have made it and the people that they like to point to as paragons of political talent have made it despite what has been levied against them. So yeah. these men, if they, if, if they are able to actually realize their full political talent and get to the stages that they deserve to be on, it is not because of America. It is in spite of America. Big fact. Yeah. Round of applause. President Biden needs to federalize the Tennessee National Guard in order to help reestablish democracy in that state. Yesterday, in one of the worst episodes of sanctioned government bigotry and racism in recent history, the Republican supermajority in the Tennessee State Assembly voted to expel two African-American lawmakers who had joined a public protest pleading for stricter gun laws after the shooting at the Covenant Christian School. The protest briefly interrupted a debate and the Republicans, the white Republicans, literally reacted to the protest in which the most dangerous weapon wielded was a megaphone by comparing it to the January 6th insurrection at the United States Capitol. Yesterday, on a motion from a white Republican named Andrew Farmer, Representative Justin Pearson of Memphis was expelled from the Tennessee Assembly. So was Justin Jones, representative of Nashville. Not reprimanded, not censured, expelled. A third member of the House involved with the protest, Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, survived the move to expel her by just one vote. She is not African-American. Democracy is on the verge of collapse in Tennessee. Republicans have gerrymandered the state to give rural white areas absolute control over the racially diverse cities of Tennessee. The Republicans will brook no gun reform, no gun debate, no gun discussion, and certainly no gun protests, even as terrified school children in their own state beg them to. During Reconstruction, the federal government sent troops into most of the South to try to reestablish representative government and integrated government for the first time. In 1957, when Governor Orville Faubus brought the Arkansas National Guard to Little Rock High School to prevent its integration, President Dwight Eisenhower nationalized that Arkansas National Guard and had its members instead protect the nine African-American students. Six years later, the same scenario played out in Alabama, where Governor George Wallace tried to block the integration of the university there. President John F. Kennedy federalized the Alabama Guard under the Insurrection Act of 1807. It is time for President Biden to take the same steps to reestablish democracy in Tennessee because the racial parallels to Little Rock and Tuscaloosa are simply differently constructed. Representatives Jones and Pearson were not expelled because they attacked gun rights or because they protested, nor because they interrupted debate with a megaphone. They were expelled because they did all that while being black. 
If you don't believe me, listen not just to what the expulsion bill's sponsor, this cracker lawyer NRA member Andrew Farmer, said to Representative Pearson, but how he said it. The only things he left out were, what we have here is failure to communicate, and quote, boy, unquote. Here in this Tennessee General Assembly, that's why you're standing there, because of that temper tantrum that day, for that yearning to have attention. That's what you wanted, but you're getting it now. So I just advise you, if you want to conduct business in this house, file a bill. Be recognized, stand there and present it, and pass it. All you got to do is pass the bill. Representative Pierce. Now, you all heard that. How many of you would want to be spoken to that way? How many of you would want to be spoken to that way? We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about even gun violence. How many of you would want to be spoken to that way? The reason that I believe the sponsor of this legislation, of this resolution, spoke that way is because he's comfortable doing it. Because there's a decorum that allows it. There's a decorum that allows you to belittle people. We didn't belittle nobody. Another white Republican, Representative Gino Bolso, while questioning Representative Jones, said that failing to expel the members would, quote, simply invite him and his colleagues to continue to engage in mutiny on the House floor. Mutiny. I am surprised that Representative Bolso left out the word uppity. After the expulsions, Representative Pearson explained what this was really about. In order that the National Rifle Association and all of these gun lobbyists continue to be able to have control over our legislation. What's going through my mind right now is we need to fight for democracy in the state of Tennessee, and we need people not only just to vote, but people to show up and speak out so that we can end the gun violence epidemic that's happening in our state. This is wrong, this is unjust, and this is not the way that it has to be. There is a better way for us to live, and we don't have to live this way. But the Republican Party of the state of Tennessee want to keep things the same. If you want to fight to change it, if you want to help to make this place a better place, you have to use your voice, you have to use your power, and yes, sometimes you've got to get expelled. back? Yes, it is almost certain when selecting temporary replacements for the expelled members, their home county boards will choose Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. Then there will be special elections, and the men cannot be expelled twice for the same actions. But the issue is larger than these two representatives in Tennessee, in Tennessee, in Nebraska, in Missouri, in Idaho, in Kansas, throughout this country, Democracy is not just failing at the local level. It is being killed by Republicans. And in every case, as in Tennessee, there is an undertone, often an overtone, of racism and misogyny. And in every case, there is the growing menace 
of fascist ownership of the local and state governments in the areas in which they are predominant. They are not just winning elections and instituting policies as Republicans and Democrats alike have done since the 1850s. These Republicans are trying to put Democrats and democracy out of business. President Biden federalized the National Guard in Tennessee and have it and not the Tennessee state troopers protecting the Tennessee General Assembly and those who wish to protest or to serve there. The fascists are getting uppity. What we have is failure to communicate. Or as this fascist farmer said to Justin Pearson, the Republicans are having temper tantrums and they're yearning to have attention. That's what they wanted. Well, they're getting it now. Federalize the Tennessee Guard, President Biden. The trouble there is not ending here. And we know who is making the trouble. The Andrew Farmers and the Gino Balsos of this modern, elected, streamlined clan. And you, Mr. President, and possibly you alone, have the power to stop it. Class war, class war, class war. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no war, it's fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Brother Vimeer Deese. This is a Class War Battlefield Podcast emergency episode. Okay, I guess really not an emergency episode. It's more of a special episode. Um, and it's probably going to be short. I don't intend to do a 50-minute piece, which means it'll probably be 50 minutes. Anyway, obviously, clearly, by the title, we are going to talk about Justin and Justin, the two Justins from Tennessee who were uh, expelled because they dared to be black men speaking truth. There are periods in time when Collective consciousness, sorry for the background noise by the way, with the collective consciousness of the society seems to weigh in the balance of history, where choices that are being made have 
profound rippling impacts on things that are to come. For those who may not be sensitive to how time moves, these things, these events can seem insignificant. But because of the backdrop, because of the unseen forces, some of them organized, some of them unorganized, that lay behind the folks caught up, situated in the events that are unfolding. The balance is tipped one way or another. And here, I'm specifically talking about those events that cause moralizing in the highest sense to become realized. People previously unknown to the public become known. Personalities previously tolerated become targeted for eliminating. At least from the body politic. Elimination does not have to mean death. But it can mean isolation so that that thing cannot do any more damage. Issues, excuse me, issues previously thought to be too large to conquer, too ingrained to root out, they suddenly become understood at a microscopic level. So much so, their rooting out becomes prophesized and almost a guarantee yeah it may not happen quickly but it's going to happen a great well-known example of all of these concepts I'm speaking about was Rosa Parks Rosa Parks deciding not to stand up was almost pre-planned. People don't know that. Rosa Parks was not a nobody. She was connected into, and I didn't know this, I've learned this recently, thanks to a brilliant black cultural studies group um, that takes place online called In Class with Carr. She was connected to a lot of black networks, or a number of them anyway, which in them, in turn, were connected to other black networks. In short, she was plugged into networks that could take what happened to her and activate thousands of people more to ensure that there is a appropriate response to it. Some of these networks were well organized. 
some of these networks were not well organized. Think of it like this. Think about having a phone tree. Having an official phone tree and an unofficial phone tree. That's what your networks are. With the expulsion of both of the Justins, and at least one of them will be back immediately next week, the other one is being railroaded, well, I guess really not railroaded, but is being targeted for um, removal by the I'm a Democrat in name only GOP lover uh, mayor, white mayor, let's be very clear about this, Confederate white mayor who has let down his constituency at every, le at every level. Um, and I forget the city he's from. But they're trying to keep him out. Now, there is so much happening here that needs to be underlined. That I'm going to do my best to, to hit every aspect of it. First and foremost, how interested, how interesting is it that this occurred on Good Friday Eve? How interesting is it that it occurred on Good Friday Eve? How interesting is it that it occurred days before people celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Another name that starts with J. Now, I also find it interesting that both of them have the name Justin. Which comes, I presume, from... Justinian, who was an emperor most famous for writing down Roman laws on, I think they're called the tablets, still read to this day. Multiple volumes worth of explaining Roman law, customs, and what have you. He was brilliant and did not get a lot of the respect that he deserved for a lot, for, for many, many years. Even though much of the basis of European, the, or at least the foundation of European um, law can be traced back to some of the concepts that Rome developed. And he recorded. How interesting to have two Justins talking about a greater moralistic law. One dressed what one might call appropriately and one dressed culturally. Now, the reason I say appropriately is because 
and I've noted this in my own personal life, white folks have created this concept of what the perfect Negro would be. But when they find the perfect Negro, they nitpick on everything that they see as unperfect. The biggest one being, you have an attitude. Now, there are many white commentators who are quick to say, you know, these cats were being straight up racist, and um, Keith Oberman, brilliant piece that I may try to put at the beginning of this um, episode, where he basically said, look, the only thing these folks didn't do was call him uppity. Black folks already were talking about that before Keith Oberman said it. So there's also another piece that I might try to put at the beginning of this from Roland Martin. The thing is this. And black folks know this, especially black men. We can do everything right. But white people are always looking for the one or two things that they can nip on to try to bring us down. So we can dress appropriately. I've actually had this happen with me. My father, I never saw my father in jeans. My father did not wear jeans. Even when he went to work, he did not wear jeans. He always wore slacks. I never saw him in shorts. He was not a shorts person. And I've picked up those habits. In walking through the store or anywhere else, in watching, you know, as I'm walking with my slacks and my button-up shirt, and watching white people look terrified at me. It has taught me that it don't matter what you're wearing, you're still a Negro. <laughs> That's still a lot of these people, you're still a Negro. He was dressed like you needed to be dressed in one of those situations, according to white people. And it wasn't enough. Moreover, these white Southern Confederate peoples who expelled them know darn well that half of them supported the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. Most of them probably did. Including the violence. There was no violence that these men expressed or that they led. But this is the contradiction of the white mindset, the white mentality. As for the other Justin, who was dressed culturally, and they made him put on a shirt <laughs> because he was dressed too black for him. Hey, if you're going to go out, go out swinging. They're going to hate you. Let them hate you for something that, that's for good. He did what a lot of black men are fearful of. That is being unapologetically black. He did what a lot of black men are fearful of. 
And that is being unapologetically black. Many white folks have gotten this idea that blackness is akin to the rap videos that you see. That's packaged nonsense. It's garbage. That isn't who we are. That's not our culture. That is what the radio wants to hear. That's what white people want to hear. It used to always fascinate me that Top 40 Radio, back in the day, wouldn't play Left Eye's version, or not her version, her verse, in Waterfalls. But not too long later, they were playing Eminem. But they would not play Left Eye's verse because it was... And they would play Coolio, Gangsta's Paradise. But they would not play Left Eye's verse. And... It troubled me. Come on, why would you? You would play Coolio. You would play, you know, other songs. Uh, um, you know, this was back in like 1995, 96. You know, you would play other rap songs, but you wouldn't play Left Eye's verse. Why? Oh, because it was actually black culture. This is not to say anything about Coolio, because man, Coolio, that song especially was broken down by one of the elders. Um, who was explaining it, and I was mind-blown. I'm like, damn, I didn't know all, all of that cultural conversation was going on, but okay, I see that. There was something deep there that I didn't see, but I see it now. But with left eye stuff, it was too in your face. You couldn't miss it. Well, that was because it was too black. It was culturally black. It was not the type of image that they wanted to put forward. That was not what they wanted black folks to live up to. They needed black folks to live up to the drug pusher identity that white people are comfortable with. The thug mentality that they're um, comfortable with. They couldn't have Tupac running around talking about thug life being something that was political because we don't need that. We need people, black people, black men specifically to be non-political. We need them to feel powerless. We need unapologetically black to mean unapologetically ignorant. Why? Because there's a fear associated with black people being unapologetically black. Most black men and most black women know this fear. They live it. They've internalized it. I know this fear. White people 
ask you questions to determine how black you are. And if you fall too far away from the line of acceptable blackness, you can have some problems. Hence, he walked in with his dashiki and they said, oh, hell no, this African Negro, no. We do not allow black African Negroes in here. You better take that dashiki and put some white attire over it. Because this ain't no multicultural space right here. This is, this is Aryan land. You better recognize, nigga. And if you can't recognize, nigga, then you're going to get the hell up out of here. Oh, you put it on, all right. Well, we're going to kick you out anyway. Just for thinking that you was uppity. Nigga. Fear is there. And they know it. You see, to my black women, man, y'all been holding it down and I thank you. To my black women, y'all been holding it down and I thank you. On the backs of what you have created over the last 30 years as we are going to build a bigger and stronger nation from that. And here I'm not talking about America. As Dr. King said, America's going to hell. The question is what's going to replace it? Oh, here you think, oh, you're talking China and international. No, fool. You really don't. America is part of the Aryan paradigm that is part of the European paradigm. Pan-Europeanism it's called. Pan-Europeanism is what was deep within the imperial logic. And that's behind the paradigm that has been built throughout the past 600 years, throughout this globe. That's crumbling. That's crumbling. The seat of power for pan-Europeanism moved from Europe after world, during World War II to the United States. And that's crumbling now. It is crumbling. Understand. The question that I now have is what's going to replace it? But I digress. We have always been the linchpin. I'm talking black men, black women here. We've always been the linchpin to the higher conscious mind to bringing that energy down in this country. That is not to say that Latinos don't have it, that native indigenous don't have it, that yellow folks don't got it. There is something about us that has always put us right there. One of the Justins was filmed talking with a covenant mother who had lost one of her babies. And 
the level of grief on her face stunned me. It's been a long time since I saw those displays. And there was this moment where it was clear he was saying something to her. And she clung to him tightly. She literally doubled up and clung to him tightly. And I thought for a brief moment. What have we done to deserve such a weight placed upon us as black folks in this country? And the answer seemed to come from my ancestors, or as one might say, it came from nowhere. But it was my ancestors, and maybe it was God. You have demonstrated strength. You were the seeds to humanity. If you were not going to carry it, then whom would? See, the myth that has propelled whiteness into its false position of prominence is that from whiteness came every little advancement on this planet. From whiteness came everything. That's untrue. And this country has always acted as if it was untrue. If from every little thing, or if from whiteness every little thing came, White people shouldn't have needed Africans to work in the sun. If from whiteness every little thing came, why, why did the greatest acceleration in society come, especially technologically, first directly after the Civil War. And second, directly after World War II. Well, technically, about 10 years after World War II, but also. Both periods were marked by a time frame where black folks were very active in various sectors which they had been prevented from working in before. The movie about the black women who helped NASA get to the moon. There are literally hundreds of stories like that. Of black folks being behind the scenes and playing prominent roles in helping white people achieve stuff. Achievements, which white people then went on to say, this was all us. And nothing to do with them Negroes over there that were like mop carriers or something. 
We've always been there. Producing, creating, helping y'all. And white folks know it, which is why they fear us. Because if we ever stopped helping them and helped ourselves, well, that's a different story, isn't it? And that's what this a lot of this fear is about. That, oh, well, you'll, you'll, you'll stop giving us the goods. And that's going to make us reveal to everybody that we are actually quite incompetent with the things that we are doing. We don't build things that last. We need other people connected to the old ways to show us. And here, I'm actually talking about some Europeans. Some of the greatest inventors in the United States have been European transplants. Some of the greatest contributors to American culture, European transplants. Someday I, I, I'd like to talk further about, you know, I have this theory that a lot of the social advancements that the United States made between the end of World War I and the early 1960s was due in part to the fact that so many European intellectuals and minds came from ravaged areas of Europe to the United States. And it was that influx of new European intellectual blood that caused so many of the social upheavals to take place. Because otherwise, American whiteness is stagnant. And we have kind of been seeing that over the last 50 years. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. I want to keep going forward on the topic at hand. And what exactly is the topic at hand? Is it merely the expulsion of these two brothers? No, it's deeper than that, obviously. You see, the Republicans have a problem. The majority of the people who vote for them, overwhelming majority of the people who vote for them, are white and older. You hit 55 and up, and that's where you find the Republican base at. You might even say 50 and up, but increasingly it's looking like more 55 and up. And once you hit 60, 65, you're really seeing people who are dedicated to the Republican Party. They're also overwhelmingly white, just pointed out. And that is not America anymore. Unless you plan on shipping in millions, tens of millions of Europeans from around the world, you're in trouble as a party. And what they have demonstrated in Tennessee and what they're demonstrating throughout the country, there's some stuff going on in Wisconsin that is demonstrative of this. There's stuff going on in Mississippi that is demonstrative of this. Even Cop City in Atlanta is demonstrative of this. Arresting people for voter felonies in, in Florida, demonstrative of this. 
What they have said that they are willing to do is use every ounce of power that they believe they have in government. And, the, you know, they would be up in arms if Democrats did this. They said they believe in using every ounce of power that they have to do what? To stop the demographic change from impacting the reality of what America is and what it will become. Some years back, I cannot remember who, who I heard say this. But it was brilliant. The institutions will protect democracy. I believe it was in the wake of, of Trump being elected. And it made a lot of sense. The institutions will protect democracy. Well, what protects the institutions? The people. Well, what if the people are corrupted? by folks who want to attack the institutions. Silence. Or, even more frightening, what if the people have a vested interest in crumbling the institutions? I've spoken to you before about the meaning of nihilist. A nihilist destroys and deconstructs purposely, often for political purposes. We are seeing the culmination, the outward trajectory and movement of people who have taken it upon themselves internally to destroy institutions in order to try to save the white dominated democracy. That they themselves view America as. They see this white American dominated democracy as the birthright to all white people. And it is the task of those white people to protect their birthright no matter the cost. When these folks are agitating for violence, when 10 years ago they were talking, 11 years ago, 12 years ago now, they were talking about Second Amendment solutions. They were doing so because they saw that their white American-dominated democracy was becoming blackenized. And they said, no way, Negro. Never. Never. 
we will stop you from doing what you think you have to do to make this country into anything that doesn't allow us to have full control over it. Including destroy the institutions that help us. The book, Why Do Americans, Why Do Americans Hate Welfare? Gets into that. These brothers stand at a pivotal crossroad. What is happening to them stands at a pivotal crossroads. And I'm listening to people online, ignorant people, some of them getting paid by white supremacists, acting as if they're black folks talking for black people. And not all of them are conservative. Many of them are running around acting like, oh, well, I'm just a Democrat who's disaffected, and, and I'm black, and I love black people, but I want y'all to do something stupid that's going to only benefit white supremacists who I'm supposedly against. These people are saying that everyone is the same, the duopoly, Democrats and Republicans, Till you smack them in their face and say, give me actual proof. These brothers are at the crossroads. And no matter what happens with them, things will happen because of them. There is a line that has just been drawn in the sand. And I know I've been intonating about race. But I need you to understand, this goes far beyond race. Most folks sending their kids to Christian schools, especially private Christian schools, probably aren't that liberal. They're probably more on the conservative side. And this legislature just kicked out two people based on their skin color because they dared to agitate for the rights of grieving conservative Christian parents. But even if that wasn't there, there's a bigger portion demographically that needs to be talked about and that is age these are young brothers these are gen ears you know i've talked to y'all about the gen z thing i ain't never getting on board with it ain't doing it can't do it won't do it seriously read the book by gary marks not carl marks titled 16 Trends, Their Profound Impact on the Future, and you'll see where I get Generation E from. <laughs> Read the book. Gary Marks, 16 Trends. This generation has in them the capacity to reorient this entire nation and this entire globe. 
they have watched as their chosen people, the folks who they love, are getting knocked around by typically older people, significantly older, in their 60s and 70s, with a disdain for the young. A truthfully terrifying disdain from, for the young. Dripping, dripping from every orifice <laughs> in their body. Haven't said that word in a long time. Sorry, y'all. Fumbled that one. They see that this intergenerational conflict, man, I have a series on this that I, I, I have addendums to and I haven't published them yet. And I need to really get around to doing that. But they see that this intergenerational conflict is really being fought by one side. The boomers against the millennials and the gen ears. And finally, gen E is stepping forward and saying, shut the hell up, shut the hell up, go sit down somewhere, we're done with it. For those who want to help us, come on. We need you. We need to learn from you. For those of you who just want to smack us down, go and sit over there in the corner. We ain't got time for you. Oh, well, that's ageist. No. No. That is finally stepping forward, getting sick of being punched down upon by a group of people who were handed the greatest wealth generational transfer in the history of the globe. Did you hear me? These folks were handed a wealth generational transfer that outdid anything on this planet previously. And all they've done with the wealth that they were given and the opportunities that other people, mostly leftists, fought for was they have demonized, demonized, demonized not only generations after them, but also demonized the leftists who helped to set the table for that transfer. This generation seems to somewhere within themselves remember that. And they're saying no more. No more. I feel no more. These two brothers. Man, stand proud, y'all. You are at the beginning of something marvelous. I, I had a moment of thinking about Dr. King. And um, I think it was uh, Julian Bond. And I, I could absolutely be wrong with that name. Who was expelled, I believe, from uh, the Georgia legislat 
legislature back in Dr. King's day. And it signaled something. It signaled a willingness to get rid of too radical of, of, of black men back then. Which brings me to my final point. White people, as much as they like to dunk on the squad and they don't do a good job dunking on the squad, they hate with a passion black women, brown women, red women, yellow women, who dare to be radically charged about reality about making the world better. A radical is a stem cell in a society. It can become anything that society needs to reproduce and heal and recreate. But even though they hate black, brown, red, yellow women with passion, they hate with a f- fervent, I, I don't even know the word to describe it, because it's not hating with a passion. They hate almost with exuberant nihilism. No, nah, 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 that's not right. Exuberant, a nihilistic? Fervent, maybe. But they hate black men who are similarly radicalized towards these ends. And they're very excited about getting rid of them. There is a lust to destroy black male radicalism. I looked into the eyes of some of those devils who were talking. And it's time to call them out for what they are. It isn't because I don't think they're human. I do believe they have a human form, yes. It is not because I want to diminish who they are so that they could be injured or killed. No. You have to understand the placement of the devil in the way that black folks move and how we interpret the reality that we are involved in in the environments that we traverse through. And then you will understand why I call these people devils. Not all of them. Because not every person who spoke was a devil. Well, many of them were. And as I listened to the devil's talk, I realized. I realized. They were moving in a way that was similar to those white demons who ran into black communities to catch those uppity niggas and to deal with them. There was an exuberance, a 
of destructiveness that was in their words and in their character. They couldn't wait to expel these Negroes. And as much as folks get upset about squad, that same thirst to expel, to annihilate, to get rid of, is not there. No. For black women, brown women, red women, yellow women, there is a different thirst. And it has more to do with sexual conquering. With black men, there is a desire to annihilate, to get rid of. In short, they don't want to have to compete with them because these black men are moral lightning rods. But even worse than that, they are moral stars that ignite people towards just causes. And that is a problem. You see this also with black, brown, red, and yellow women. Lightning rods for moral stances. Stars that ignite people. But they don't try to annihilate them, no. Because white women don't move that way. They don't have to annihilate them. They just have to back them into a corner so they don't have the power to make things happen. And that's what Nancy Pelosi did. See, and this is going to be the last thing I say about this. And what did I tell you? I said I was going to not make this a 50-minute piece. And what do you know? I'm almost at 50 minutes. <laughs> Black folks, I know a lot of white people are listening right now. Y'all got to get over the fact that white people don't move the same. Black people move differently than white people, but white men move differently than white females. The strategies used to annihilate or isolate a black man that's executed by white men are going to be different than those things executed against a black woman by white women. We need to understand that. We're at a point in time where we must understand that. I pray to the ancestors for the strength that these brothers need to carry on. And I know there's a third that's still in there. But I, I mean it. I want these brothers to carry on. And I want to uplift them so they can make it through the storm. This flame must go forward. It must go forward. 
questions, comments, concerns, you know you can always reach out to me. I love hearing from y'all. Oh, do I love hearing from y'all. If you'd like to give to support the show, and I would ask that you do, obviously I open up the show with a um, appeal for that. Please do me the honor. Go into my uh, cash app. Go into my PayPal. CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast, CWB Beaky Beaky Podcast. <laughs> Throw a dollar sign in front of it for the cash app and just straight through um, for the uh, for the PayPal. 510, 2, 510, 20, 30, 50, whatever you can give. Make it monthly. Um, I'm giving greater consideration to starting a Patreon, but I just, I don't know what I would offer (laughs) because I do these shows how I do these shows and I'm not sure what the heck I would offer. (laughs) I'm just going to be straight with y'all. All All right. Um, but I am giving, I'm giving considerable thought to it. Uh, but again, I, j- I just don't know what I would offer. Like, what can I offer that's in addition to all of this? All right. Until the next one, y'all. I'm your brother, Fire Diesel Gaia. Stay real. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the To the wars that I fought in places Where their business interest runs On the radio talk shows and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And they're